Y'all can be seated. Sorry about that, Michael. I think the delete button, I was a little happy with it yesterday, I guess, when I was up here. But uh, we're so glad to have everybody. What a blessed morning it already is to not only see a video of Beth's baptism, and if y'all haven't got to meet Beth yet, of course, they placed membership with us a few weeks ago. And uh, what a fun night for their life group to be there Monday. And uh, man, you guys did it at this perfect setting. You know, is that called like the golden hour? You know, beautiful. And then to, uh, you'll never forget the cool of that, I'm sure, Beth. Uh, but uh, what a wonderful night. And then, of course, Ava, congratulations. We're so excited for you. If y'all haven't got to meet Ava yet, she is a, she's a firecracker of a young lady, and we love her. Uh, she studies, she knows her Bible, she, she loves Jesus, and uh, I, I love her heart, and I'm excited to see what God does in both our new both of our new sisters in Christ. Amen, church? Amen. Well, who in here remembers uh, Highlights Magazine as a kid? You guys remember Highlights, right? You guys remember Highlights? Maybe you were at the dentist office or the, or the doctor's office and you were looking through Highlights, or maybe it was a, a small a little free time in your, in your class. I don't know if we ever had a subscription to Highlights, but I used to love Highlights. And my favorite highlight, not to have a pun in here, but my favorite highlight from Highlights was these macro pictures, right? There's always a section zoomed in that was trying to always ask the question, right? Can you tell what this zoomed in macro picture is? So we're going to play a little game. We've got four pictures. Let's see if anybody can figure this out. Anybody got a guess on what this is? This comes from Highlights Magazine years ago. Anybody know what this is? Aloe vera, could be aloe vera. You guys are pretty close. It's a lime, right? It's a lime, right? Isn't it cool? Like, that looks like goo, and then that's a lime, right? All right, next one here. This, what's this look like? Hmm, what could this be? Surface of Mars? Carpet? It's edible. I'll give you a hint. It's edible. Walnut. Cinnamon stick. Somebody was about to say it. There you go. All right. Cinnamon stick. All right. A couple more. Ooh, this, this one was hard. Really hard. This is not edible. I guess, I guess it is. All right. This one's kind of cool. It's a flame. All right. And then finally, this last one. Let's see if y'all can figure out this last one. It's not edible either. I don't know what, that's like our, like, first 20 question. Can you eat it? <laughs> Hair? So what'd you say, Brad? Boom. Pages and a book. Good job, Brad. Good job. Did you steal it from Cassie? Okay, well, good job, Cassie. You're always making him look better. So, <laughs> isn't this interesting? We get into these... Here's what's going on with these pictures. When we look at them real close, all you get to see is detail. And in a weird way, this has everything to do with where we're at in the story this week. We're in chapter 9, the book of Ruth, this tiny little book, four pages maybe in your Bible, four chapters in your Bible, that has to do with these pictures. Here's what's happening in brain science when you are looking at these zoomed-in pictures. What you see is your brain just starts to tell you there's a bunch of details there, right? You can't really make sense of it. It's literally not seeing the forest through the trees. But then when we zoom out, 
and we get a picture and we get an actual context, right? Then every time we see it, what do we see? We see the book. That is what is going to happen with us as we jump into the book of Ruth today. Ruth is this zoomed in story within the larger story. And it helps us see that when we see the actual context of it, then we got to see not only how the details make sense, but how it helps us make sense of the larger work of God, not only in scripture, but in the larger story of our lives. The details tell the story, but they also illuminate the wider story. And here's how Ruth begins. It begins with this detail, Ruth chapter 1, 1 through 5. Listen to these details. This is the zoomed in macro highlights magazine uh, picture that Ruth has given us. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. That is a loaded sentence. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women. One named Orpah and the other named Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Now remember, we're way zoomed in here. The story is way zoomed in on a small family living in Bethlehem that are facing a famine, and then they have to move to Moab. But what did you notice in the details? Did you notice the first line? This is telling us a story that already has context. Don't make the mistake of reading your Bible as if one book or one page or one chapter is not connected to the rest of it. Ruth starts with, in the days of the judges. Our reading last week from the judges ended with chapter 21, 25. In those days, Israel had no king, right? And everyone did what they saw right in their own eyes. So Ruth, in its detail, is opening up, calling us back to the specific context of judges. This time in which there's a spiral, and there's this cycle, and there's this mess. But Ruth is going to counter that mess. Ruth is going to show up and is going to give us a hint that not all things are bad. Judges ends with bad news. Ruth opens up with a little pinhole of light. The first hint of this is this guy named Elimelech. Second word there on the screen, now Elimelech. Elimelech means, my God is the king. Remember, judges? In those days, Israel had no king. Ruth comes along and says, let me tell you about a family who understood who was the king. Elimelech. During this period, most people were just doing what they wanted. 
not following God, not striving for obedience, but Ruth and whoever wrote Ruth is telling us, here is that pinhole of light. Here is some hope. Here is going to be a story of someone who gets it. Here is the good news. And this pinhole of light, as we're going to see, is going to be surrounded by incredible darkness. There's going to be famine, as we just heard. There's going to be starvation. That's what happens in a famine. There's going to be disease. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be tragedy all in this little story. But it's going to be in this details that we're going to be redirected to a greater truth. A greater truth that's going to be seen in our three main characters today. Now, what we're going to do is instead of trying to we could we, probably take the time and just read the whole text, but instead of doing that, we're going to summarize this morning and show you these three main characters. And I've asked some people to come up. So I've got a Naomi. Libby's my, my Naomi. Libby, if you'll come on up. And then Ruth and Boaz are the famous Barry and Olivia Hobson. So y'all come on up. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to get to see the story of these three working through this. Y'all pick up your little deal and just stand there, little poster. And what we're going to get to see in these details is a much wider story. And we'll start with Naomi. We saw in verses 1, 1 through 5, that Naomi's story starts with tragedy. In fact, such tragedy that her family is given a name. Her sons are given a name. Milon and Kilion. Those names in Hebrew mean disease and tragedy. I don't really believe that that is actually the names that Naomi and Elimelech came up with, right? What do you want to name him? Disease, you know? I don't think that's the way it works. But I think the story is telling us this is what Naomi's life is marked by. This disease and tragedy. Then we find out very quickly that in Naomi's story, those three men in her life, what happens? They die. So her life story not only is involved with disease and tragedy, it is involved with death and mourning. If there's a passage that sums up Naomi's life, it's this one. It's Ruth 1, 20 and 21. Listen to Ruth or Naomi's own words. She says to the people and the ladies in Bethlehem, she says, don't call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. It's a good name, right? But she says, call me Mara, which is the word for bitter. Change my name. These ladies that she's been away from for 10 plus years, she comes back and she says, you know me as pleasant. I want you to call me bitter. Because, and here it's in the text, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Mara Maod. Very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Why call me pleasant? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi's life is marked by this text. Chapter 1, 20 and 21 of bitterness. She is facing a life where she is questioning the very essence of God's nature but also God's actions on her. It's been brought about by this disease and tragedy and this death and mourning so that she now feels like my only life is summed up, not only with this bitterness, but notice where her bitterness is sourced. God has brought this upon me. She is blaming. She is blaming somebody else for this. So there is bad news to start this out. Now, 
Number two in the story is Ruth. And all you need to know about Ruth, and I love that y'all are standing really close together because this is the story. And then there's this dude over here that's like, I'll let you thresh. Anyway, and he's a little older than his wife. You guys get the connection? Anyway, right? Right? That's right. That was, you knew that was, I told Barry I was going to make fun of him a little bit. So what goes around comes around though. So that's right. So here's what we need to know about Ruth, right? Ruth comes from Moab. Now, if you know anything about Moabites, here's the backstory. This is a loaded, loaded hyperlink term in the, in the text, especially in the Old Testament. Moabites were cursed. They were cursed for two reasons. One was we find out in, uh, early in Genesis, Moab is the first son of Lot's oldest daughter. Lot escapes from Sodom and Gomorrah uh, in the destruction. His wife has turned into a What? Pillar of salt, right? And then his daughters, who really think the world is about to end and they are responsible for repopulating the earth, make this horrible decision and they have incestuous relationship with their dad and the first son out of that incestuous relationship is Moab. So from that point on, the Bible holds Moab with contempt. Even more than that, once we get to the book of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers and Deuteronomy this time of the people walking through the desert and trying to get to the promised land, it's the Moabites that meet them in the desert. The Moabites and the Ammonites, and they meet the Israelites and they show them no hospitality. They give them no food. They give them no shelter. In fact, they're the ones that hire Balaam the donkey man and say, why don't you go ahead and curse these Israelites? So the Moabites are horrible in the eyes of Israel. Yet Ruth shows up, and she's a Moabite. She's one that's connected. And if you want a passage for that, I am tearing this up. It's Deuteronomy 23.3. Here's where Moses himself says, No Ammonite or Moabite, Olivia, or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the tenth generation. So not only is she a Moabite, we find out from Deuteronomy 23.3 that she is also despised and she is rejected. She is one who is no standing with anyone. In fact, Naomi to even bring her into her home, especially after her sons have died, is an act of grace. The connection is lost. But yet here is Ruth. An outcast, making her life a central part of this detailed story. Now, finally, we've got Boaz. Boaz, come on over here by, by Ruth, if you will. <laughs> now, what you have with Boaz is this. Boaz is interesting. Now, I won't get much into Boaz because Boaz actually works a little bit different than these two, but what we find out first about Boaz is he's from Bethlehem. Now that's a loaded text, right? This word means house of bread or place of sufficiency or a place where you can get the opposite of bitterness, right? So he's from Bethlehem and he shows up on the scene and what we find out about him 
is best described here in chapter 2, verses 15 through 16. He's a landowner. He has all kinds of wealth. He's an older man a little bit. But he is a man who does this. It says that she got up to glean, and that's talking about Ruth. You get up to glean, whatever that looks like. And Boaz does this. Look at Boaz's actions. Here's a widow who is a foreigner, and she's not just a foreigner. She's not an Egyptian. She's not uh, a Canaanite or a Jebusite. She is a Moabite, right? That's like saying that guy's a Sooner, right? That's the worst, right? In my eyes anyway, right? Or a Longhorn. They both fit. All right, right? That is the idea. Here's what he does. This is beautiful. She got up to glean, and Boaz goes out to his men, and he goes... Let her gather among the sheaves. And don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and do not rebuke her. So what we find out about Boaz is he is a man who not only is from the house of bread, he knows how to give bread. And not only does he give her space to get her own bread, he says, I'm going to take from what is mine and give to you. I'm going to be sacrificial. So what Boaz is in the story is he is a man of standing and he is also a man with protection and redeeming. He's a protector and he's a redeemer. Now here's our three main characters to the story and they're going to stay hang out for just a second cuz we need to ask something of ourselves. Because what the text is going to ask of us is not just to look at these three, but the text is asking us, who are you? The text is trying to pull us into in this detailed story, right? It's a macro story where you're trying to, you're trying to figure out why are all these details here in the midst of this wider forest story. And the way we find that is asking the question, which one am I? Am I Naomi? This morning, do I feel like Naomi? Where circumstances and tragedy overwhelm? Where we feel defeated and hurt? Maybe you've become Mara. That bitter root, as the New Testament talks about. And who among us has not experienced or known somebody in our experiences where the only explanation we have for the hardship we're facing is that God's hand must be against us. See, Naomi's at a place where she believes that God must hate her. What an anguish to suffer in bitterness. Or maybe you're like Boaz. Boaz does everything right. But Boaz is a single older man. He is nobody. Boaz had to grow up. You know who Boaz's mom is? Anybody know? It's Rahab the prostitute. But yet Boaz in the story, although his mom, I'm sure people had to mention, hey, by the way, Boaz, your your mom's a prostitute. Right? Yet he grows up and he in the story is consistent and he is faithful. And if you notice in the text, every once in a while he does some beautiful stuff. He follows out 
the text, the Torah. He's obedient. But yet, I wonder if he felt like it was all for nothing. I think the question you have to ask if I'm Boaz is not only am I doing right, but I think the question that keeps up our Boaz's at night is am I growing weary in doing good? Because surely he felt that way. And then of course we have Ruth. If you're Ruth this morning, you don't belong. Or at least you feel like you don't belong. Ruth could have people, although they probably it wasn't written this way at the time, but imagine having people be able to quote book, chapter, and verse why you didn't belong in the assembly. Hopefully that's never happened to you in the assembly. And if it has, I am sorry on behalf of that person who said that to you. Because that is not the way of God. But people could go to Ruth and say, we don't accept you. Look it up. Deuteronomy 23.3. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like God couldn't save you because you're too sinful? Or that God couldn't be near because you're too despised? Have you ever thought there's no way that God would welcome me or save me? Which one are you? Naomi, who's overwhelmed. Boaz, possibly weary of doing good. Or Ruth, who's rejected. Now remember what we're looking at. We're looking at zoomed in and what we should see in this little bitty details of this macro picture, this zoomed in picture of the text, what we ought to see is the fingerprints of God all over this. Because what you have here is a story that is going to be turned. These aren't going to be the things that are going to define them. And Boaz stands out as obedient, but his obedience is going to produce fruit. And we see that summed up at the end of the text. It says, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for you or for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Now that is an ancient wow. Seven sons would be the perfect number of children to have. And the women of Bethlehem say to Naomi, because you have Ruth, and now Ruth has Obed, that's better than anything. This trumps the best birth order you could ever think of. This is the greatest. And then it finishes with this. This woman of tragedy coming from the outcast, now married to a man of faithfulness, Naomi takes the child in her arms and she cares for him. The woman living there says this, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Here's where the story is so good. Because while Naomi is maybe at the first defined by these things, at the end, she's what? She's restored. Right? And Boaz, while he's waiting for things to happen, his faithfulness matters. And Ruth, 
While she's an outcast, she's adopted. She's one part of the story. And not only is she just one part of the story, these two together, along with a son of Rahab the prostitute, become the great-great-great-grandmother and then the great-great-grandmother of King David who will then become the great, however many times you want to say it, granddad of Jesus Christ himself. Woof! How about that? Which one are you? Let's give these guys a round of applause. Y'all can sit down. I won't make you stand up here. It's beautiful text. It's an incredibly beautiful text, not just because of the details that we can dig into, but it is a story within a story. It's the good news of Jesus Christ contained in four small chapters. It's the good news that says this. If you've ever felt the temptation to believe the lie that God has turned his hand against you and that God cannot redeem you, or you've believed the lie that God doesn't want to be with you and then in turn use you, the hearing of the book of Ruth is your chance to stop listening to those lies. Those lies do not come from the text and they do not come from the God who gave us the text. They are lies from the enemy. And Ruth speaks in truth in opposition to those lies. This bold widow shows us the heart of God, the heart of the gospel of Jesus. What Ruth shows us is that those who seek will find, those who ask will be given, and those who knock, the door will be opened. She goes as an outcast and trusts God. She will be redeemed. You need to know this morning that if you've ever said, well, God would never forgive me. My sin is just too far. It's just too great. Even God forgives somebody who at one point in the text said she had no place. So the good news is, is there is no such thing as too far and too lost and too stuck and too apathetic or too sinful. Every situation, Ruth tells us, is redeemable. Even somebody's life who is bitter. Or even somebody whose life who says, I have no place. Or I am an outcast. Or even if a conflict is irreconcilable, God says, no, it is reconcilable because God saves, God restores, God redeems, and God uses those who are faithful to get his message and mission done. Amen? Wow, what a story. One more passage, but really two. As we wrap up, I want us to lean in On Ruth's words, after Ruth's husband and Orpah's husband died, Orpah doesn't stick around. And Naomi even says to Ruth, you don't have to stick around. This is horrible. She's already feeling the bitterness. You ever been in that place where, you know, misery, we say misery loves company, but really when you're miserable, you don't want company. That's where Naomi is. It's like, I don't want you around. But look at Ruth's words. The gospel of Ruth chapter 1, 16 and 17. Ruth replies to Naomi when she says, don't go back to your people, go back to Moab. She says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. 
and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. What a commitment. I think it's in those words of bold trust that the story of Ruth turns because she mirrors God's faithfulness to his own covenant. What's God done so far in the story, church family? Where you go, I'll go. Even when it's not where they should go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Even when it's not where you should stay. God shows up, right? In fact, we get even more of that. Not only from Naomi, who wasn't going to leave. She wasn't going to leave Naomi in her pain and her loss and her bitterness. What we actually see is even better. We have an actual better version of Ruth. Ruth says, if even death separates us, I'm not, I'm not going to let that happen. But we have a Savior who says death can't even separate us. You ever pick up on that? Romans 8, it's not on the screen. 31 through 39. What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, he took a risk, right? But gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? Or hardship? Now listen here. See if you hear Ruth's story in this. Trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. It is as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered a sheep to be slaughtered. And then Paul says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us for the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Oof. That's the good news. See what? Ruth in its beautiful storytelling is telling us is here's a woman who knew commitment. But she was just a foreshadow of one who knew commitment and he could even beat death itself. So if Ruth could figure out that, and if Naomi could figure out that nothing could separate her or them from God's goodness, we've got it even better, church. It means we're without excuse. There's no such thing as too sinful or too unsaved or too bitter or too tragic or too hurt because nothing separates us for the love of Christ. We've got good news to share, church family. Man, we've got good news to share.
May we never forget that this is our story. This is what it's about. And when we come to Jesus as, as Ava did and, say, and saying, I want to make you Lord of my life and King of my life, she wasn't just having her sins washed away. She was giving her allegiance to Jesus to say, this is where it's at. In no other place. And when we do that, we let our stories turn around too. They move from wherever they're at now into adoption, into redemption, into salvation. If you need anything this morning, we're here for you. Let us just celebrate the good news of Ruth, which is the good news of Jesus. Let's stand together and sing. Sweet are the promises, kind is the word. Nearer farther any message man ever heard. Pure was the mind of Christ, friendless I see. He, the great example, is the pattern for me. Where he leads, I'll follow. Where he leads, I'll follow. Follow all the way. I'll follow, follow Jesus every day. Sweet is the tender love Jesus has shown, sweeter far than any love the mortals have known. Kind is the erring one, faithful is he. He, the great example, is the pattern for me. Leads a follow, follow.